What number is this, Chip? Zilch 165, Dolan Sings Nesmith with Christian Nesmith and Glenn Gretlin from 7A. Okay, don't, mean it. don't get excited, man. It's because I'm short. Zilch. 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 You're listening to Zilch, a monkey's podcast. Welcome back to Zilch. I'm your host, Ken Mills. Today, we're talking about the forthcoming album, Dolan Sings Nesmith. And joining us on the Zilch Hotline, from 7A, it is Glenn Gretland. Hi, Ken. How are you doing? I'm doing well. And also, from Parts Unknown, it is Christian Nesmith. Beautiful, sunny Southern California. Welcome. (laughs) I guess your parts are known now, right? Hey, hey now. Uh, <laughs> hey, as often as I can get them to be, uh, but it's a, but it's a, it's I charge a small fee. I was just wondering if that's prostitution. Sounds like a good time to me. So anyway, that's all I know, man. That's all I know. Hey, Glenn, you just got to know that you know Ken and I have done a we've done a couple few of these, and so we just go off into the weeds. So just, <laughs> just be ready. Absolutely, I'm ready. I'm ready. So today we are talking about an exciting new project, Dolan's Sings Nesmith. Yes, you've been reading about it. You went to Monkey's Live Almanac. You've been seeing all the ads. You've seen the pre-orders. And if you haven't pre-ordered, shame on you. We're going to try to take care of that today. You need to get this album. I have been blessed to hear it, courtesy of the two gentlemen that are here on the other end of the horn. It is fantastic this album will really surprise a ton of folks an early review it is better than you think it's going to be i'm telling you right now that's not a cut down in any way shape or form (laughs) it's just that as monkeys fan there's a certain standard that we're used to right well i don't know i mean if you're comparing that to certain albums what 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 is the level of that standard (laughs) (laughs) i look at mickey dolan's classic album remember as just being an amazing album. And I know that you and I talked about that. Yeah, that is a great record. Because a matter of fact, Christian, you and I spoke about how wonderful that album was and how this one is going to have to do some setups in the gym and, you know, do a little light jogging every night just to get into that ring. And it not only steps into the ring, but it's a knockout. Yeah. What I thought about Remember was how how first of all how well it was recorded it's a great sounding record um and secondly and god the, the producer of that record now is the name his name escapes me but david uh, harris yeah uh, he took such care in creating new approaches to you know great classic covers but uh but uh but also things that you might expect to come off of mickey dolan's record and uh you know for instance his take on uh good morning good morning just fantastic and so when mickey came on cersei and my streaming show we definitely aped that arrangement because it was so good you know that's it was a, it was a wonderful approach so when coming into uh thinking about this uh although i don't know if we're jumping ahead um it was important uh 
to make sure that we were hitting those marks as far as being fresh, as far as sounding good, as far as getting great performances out of Mickey and so forth. Uh-huh. Folks, I cannot wait for you to hear it. And you're only going to hear a few samples today. Our thing is to always to try to get you to support the artist, support what you love, because it's so important. Oh, you're such a tease. <laughs> yes, I am. But it's so important to support what you love. And this album is worth supporting so much. And uh we have some exciting. I thought we were going to be just friends. <laughs> <laughs> but we have some exciting news okay. there. <laughs> I had to do the payoff. Okay, good. That, there you go. But I'm bumps. Right now, here's a snippet of Mickey Dolan singing from his new single, Different Drum, backed with Propinquity, which is released digitally on April 23rd. Available to pre-order now from the Apple Music Store and Amazon. Both songs are from the new Dolan Sings Nesmith album, which will be released on May 21st. get the digital single different drum backed with propinquity or i guess it should could be sideways because you don't flip it over anymore that's right yeah i guess it's a sideways single right it's a it's on the same level so two great versions of songs that you know but heard in a way you've never heard them before but that pretty much surmises the entire album wouldn't you say christian well that was my intent but uh I mean, I don't know if we want to get to that just yet, as opposed to going linearly from its inception and to the calls that were made and how it was brought together. But if we can jump right into that as well. 
if you want. Well, let's tell the story, the origin of Dolan Sings Nesmith, who first came up with the idea. Now, I know that Mickey, for years... I heard him say that out on the road at least three, four years ago. And I jumped right in and said, man, I'll produce that record, you know. Um, so it, it sounded sounded really cool to me. Um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I never thought that I'd actually get the call. Um, but I guess that was because of conversations with, uh, with uh, Mickey and Glenn. Mm. Yeah, I, we heard Mickey had mentioned this idea years ago as well, and we thought it's strange that nothing has happened uh, in all those years. Why, why Rhino or somebody else hasn't come in? So we thought, why not just try and make Mickey an offer and see what he thinks? And as it happens, and the pandemic hit at the same time, so all the tours were cancelled. So it, it happened to be fairly good timing where he wasn't doing anything else. And then we started talking, and just to return to what Christian was saying earlier, Mickey was very clear from the beginning that he didn't want to do a karaoke album and then we started talking about remember and and how david harris produced that album and one of the other things that was great about remember was that uh, he had come up with new arrangements for the songs so they weren't they weren't sort of uh, straight copies of the originals they had different arrangements and and, and mixes to them and obviously we we, we thought uh, christian would be the ideal person and i'm so happy we did that <laughs> Well, it was certainly a lot of a lot of fun, but it was a it was a lot of work too. To nod to what Glenn just said, what he means by a karaoke album is if you think about stripping Nez's voice off of his original albums and just having Mickey jump on there and sing it, that's what we're talking about. Um, and the the reason why we didn't want to do that is because Nez's approaches, particularly on like first national band stuff is so iconic. We're so familiar with that first national band sound and with Red Roads decorating everything and and to have Mickey just jump on there. Also, there is a stylistic thing that is going on with the with with that stuff nodding to some of uh Nez's uh yodeling, if you will, and uh just a, a country style. And so we wanted to make sure that uh, that we weren't just uh, throwing Mickey into an area that's not really his home base. You know, Nez being a, a fifth generation Texan and uh, and having that uh, that that blues and country background for as long as he did and being so steeped in it, it it shows up in his voice in a certain way. And so for, and, and so to put Mickey in, into those areas where Mickey is, is much more suited to pop vocals and, uh, and sort of up tempo type things, you know, to have Mickey yodel, not so much. So it was a conscious decision. So that presented a, the sort of set of challenges that I, that I faced because basically after Glenn and Mickey, you know, sort of iron things out. I got the call from Mickey and it was just one night. I was just sitting around watching a movie or something. And Mickey says, you want to produce the record? <laughs> and so off we went. And immediately I had to start thinking about how uh, I wanted to approach some of these songs. But even before that, we had to figure out which songs to do. For me, it became pretty clear early on that there were three songs that I suppose I can speak freely about this because everybody knows what what songs are on the record. So to talk about why certain songs may not have been that are obvious, that would have you would think were obvious choices are not being Rio, Joanne and Silver Moon. 
because those songs are so inherently Nez and because they gravitate towards that country thing and and uh, or or Nez's spoken style of singing and the yodeling and, and high singing notes and all of that stuff, they just didn't make as much sense. Plus which, because they're his three biggest hits, I figured that it would be better to stay away from that kind of stuff because it's just it's low hanging fruit. Let's d- dig deep deeper into the uh, the well of of songs that he has, and there are you know literally hundreds that we can bring to the party in in a really new and fresh way. And I suppose that's where Andrew Sandoval enter, enters the story. Yeah, that, it was quite an exciting uh, process because. I think we all submitted our list of songs that we thought might work for Mickey. And then even that came to about 100 songs. That, that's how many that's how many songs were in contention. And then obviously Andrew came in and, and was a huge help in uh, on the material side and, and narrowed it down even further. And Andrew also brought a few things in that were that were more underground and even some uh, a couple of never be heard, never before heard things. Um which was really interesting to me because, you know, I you would think that I'd heard everything and I hadn't. So uh, Andrew's definitely got a uh, got his finger on the pulse when it comes to things like that. And so there, there were some nice surprises. And my task was to try and hear these songs with Nez's performance and reimagine them, you know, just picture them in my head, first of all, with Mickey singing them. And if I could do that. We were off on their way. But then I also wanted to make sure that I picked songs that were a certain style, conducive to to a, a new approach and that would be more uh, universal in their interpretation. So, mm-hmm. Well, let's go back a little bit further. Mickey has okay. said that I think I first mentioned it doing this project. Mickey says about doing this kind of an album. Mickey said... I think I mentioned it to Nez years ago. I don't know where the idea came from. Maybe from my friend Harry Nielsen and his Nielsen Sings Newman album. Yeah. Which, if someone looks at the cover of Dolan Sings Nesmith, they're going to be surprised to find that it is almost an homage to Nielsen Sings Newman. Gee, I wonder how that happened. (laughs) I can tell you the story behind that, uh, apart from obviously being inspired by the uh, uh, the Harry Nilsson sleeve. We were thinking, what are we going to do? I mean, how are we going to come up with a new album cover? And we had some early drafts that didn't really work out. And then Andrew said, why don't you try and contact Dean Torrance from Jan and Dean, who did the original artwork for the Nielsen Sings Newman sleeve. So we contacted Dean and he came up with a, a draft of a new sleeve that, that sort of wasn't too far away from where we ended up, although it had completely different elements. It was a different car. It was a different desert. But the car, uh, we just made some changes. Our designer, Tim Johnson, came in and basically took Dean's idea, the rough draft, and and recreated everything. And I'm really pleased with how it came out. I know people are going to have different views on it, but from what I heard so far, it's largely positive. Well, we talked about doing some of these songs that you know in their classic arrangement, for lack of a better term. You can also do the same thing with art, where you pound something and it just, it just loses all art and all creativity. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like. I jokingly talked to Glenn about putting Mickey in a wool hat and a nudie suit. Just, you know, that was a joke. Glenn knew it. I knew it. And I hope anyone that listened to it. Mickey wearing the Star Spangled Cowboy hat, you know. 
There you go. Exactly. But those are all two on the nose. This not only pays homage to a classic album that Mickey loves, it's kind of more mellow, more artistic, if you will. And I almost imagine that they're listening to me and Magdalena, but in this case, it's uh, Nez and Mickey driving, that kind of a thing. So, <laughs> out in the yeah. desert. It also, uh, you know, Breaking Bad, just that's all that's missing is Mickey wearing his Breaking Bad t-shirt in that shot. So. <laughs> or standing in the middle of the desert in his underwear, you know, so. Yeah. Which, who knows, we're not ruling that out on the inside of the sleeve, so. Oh, did I just give away the video? <laughs> <laughs> These are jokes, folks. These are jokes. Don't don't think that it's real. So in the same way that you can hammer an idea too hard on a song and just copy it, this this was a nice homage. So I appreciate it from an artist standpoint. That's what I do for a living, folks. So mm. I, I really dig it. So we've heard how Andrew Sandoval got involved, how you got involved, Glenn, how you got involved, Christian, and here we are. And I'd like to take a look at the people that wound up playing on the album. Well, there's a step before that. Okay. Um, um, that was trying to, to decide on the approach mm -hmm. for each song. Once I got the call to do the, do the record... You know, I sat around for a, a couple few weeks, you know, with an acoustic guitar and a couple other little instruments and trying to search for new grooves and new sounds, new keys, because Mickey's got a higher voice than Nez, and, uh, and seeing if, uh, you know, taking slow songs and making them fast or vice versa, um, taking swung songs and making them straight. And so that took a, a bit of, of work right off the bat and i didn't even find the groove for every song before i started launching into recording some of the other ones so once the grooves were sort of settled and i saw i saw the the bigger picture then i i i knew which uh which players i i needed to go and and get but were i were i know i interrupted you ken but were you heading towards a particular song not yet I wanted to just kind of lay out the players because often on, especially these kinds of albums where it's not one band, you know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of the time, the studio musicians get a short time in the spotlight. So I'd like to get their names out there, and then we'll talk a little bit later about their actual contributions. We've got Mickey on lead vocals and backing vocals. We've got Cersei Link, the lovely Cersei Link. Tell her I said hi. On backing vocals. I will. Christian Nesmith on backing vocals. All instruments played by Christian Nesmith, except, and here's where the, the stage curtain opens. Right. Alex Jules, good friend of Monkeys fans everywhere. He whistles on Carlisle Wheeling. <laughs> Alex Uren. Yeah. He plays harmonica and a fine one at that. We'll, we'll get to that later. Cameron Stone on cello. Charlie Bisserat on violin. Yeah. Uh -huh. Christopher Alice on drums. The great Christopher Alice. Yes, the great Christopher Alice. Ian Walker, upright bass on Carlisle Willing and Circle Sky. You, who you've heard on many Cersei Link records, the early ones. He's the upright bass player on all the early Cersei Link stuff. Fantastic. Janine Ray Heller, musical saw. Yes, an actual musical saw on the track Tapioca Tundra. Had to do it. Yep. Yes. This one blew me away. We'll we'll talk about it later, but Jim Cox on keyboards. We'll just 
Remember that name, folks. Pete Finney returning on yep. pedal steel guitar, Richard Bailey on banjo, and Ron Wagner on Indian percussion. Hmm, mm-hmm. I wonder where <laughs> he'll feature into this. <laughs> yeah. So thank you to all of you that uh, we just mentioned your contributions to this album so wonderful so this is this is the uh, colors if you will this is the palette that you had to choose from as you were kind of putting this all together well because of the pandemic you know it was clear that i was going to have to play as much as i possibly could and i mm-hmm. and i'm playing you know if there are lots of guest players on there but i'm playing pretty much i'd say 80% of the music that you hear i play all the guitars i play all the bass i play a lot of the keyboards some percussion building some background vocals and what have you but you know there are certain things i can't do i can't play harmonica and i can't play uh, i can't play orchestral strings even though uh, there are some places where I did that and then I had real strings doubling or replacing those. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we can go into the specifics of where that all shows up on the various songs. So when I came to a spot where I knew that it was uh, beyond me, that's when I... Uh, that's when I had to call in the ringers. Um, but I think I think another thing is that um, if we were quite clear early on. Chris, both Christian and Mickey were quite, quite clear. They wanted real drums, uh, not just electronic drums, but real drums on the album. Well, yeah, I, I was just going to say that I knew that, you know, there's an old adage in recordings. If you don't have a drum sound, you don't have a record. Um, and uh, and I knew I knew I wanted no one else but Christopher Alice. You know, he's been on every Cersei Link record and toured with FMB and he's done stuff with, uh, with Denny Lane. And, you know, he's just, just one of my oldest dearest friends and, and just a solid player. So the, the, the prospect of actually going into the studio just with him to, for him to go in and replace all the drums was so exciting. And he nailed it in a day and a half and it was amazing. So real drums was absolutely in, uh, incredible, but I will say that that we really lucked out because, as I say, we did it in a day and a half. But that same recording session, if you listen for for all you engineer geeks and producer geeks out there, it's all the same drum kit. The only thing we we switched out was a, a snare. But the different kinds of sounds of drums that we were able to get to apply to different different approaches of songs uh, were was really incredible and, and wonderful to hear. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I'm really thrilled with the drums on this record. Yeah, I think from a production point of view, it, it was probably one of the, certainly one of the more expensive things we had to do because we had to hire a studio. But I think it was worth every every penny because um, it just makes such a difference to have real drums. Yeah. Absolutely. And you can feel it as well as hear it. So it's, it was definitely time and money well spent. Were there any certain hurdles that you had to make as far as transforming these songs from their classic arrangements to these new versions? What was the hardest thing to make happen or come by? Well, as a producer, I, uh, what I look for is if the whole song kind of just reveals itself to me in my head. If I can come to a place where I'm digging it and I can sort of 
Michelangelo the thing, you know, just carve away that anything that doesn't look like the statue. Mm-hmm. Although that kind of works in reverse. I'm just like, I already know the parts. Just go play the part because, you know, we don't have to guess at it. We don't I hear the whole thing. So when I get it to that place, it becomes much easier. It's searching for that place. You know, it's searching for the right key. It's searching for the right tempo. Again, if the original song was uh, a waltz, does it does it transfer translate to four four? Whereas only bound, that song is originally a waltz, and uh, and we we were able to approach it in four four, and it works fabulously in my uh, personal opinion. It, um, it's, it's it's probably my favorite. Uh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, it came out really good, and it's a. I think it's a beautiful melody by Nez, and uh, and you can tell that his his passion was completely there when writing it. So that that translated very easy easily for uh, Mickey to sing it. And there were others, but there were also uh, some some moments that were less apparent. I knew I wanted to do Circle Sky. If you want to, do you want to get there yet, Ken? <laughs> No, we'll go there sequentially on that. Okay, so all right, well then uh, I'll I'll hold that. So ask your next question. Uh-huh. So we've talked about how this project developed, how it came to be, how we got the album cover, how we assembled the artist that helped you flush out the sound. You want to kind of go a little bit of track by track? Yeah, there's so many happy accidents on this record, uh-huh. and. Uh, <laughs> And it opens with uh, with Carlisle Wheeling, and uh, I don't even know where the the notion came to open with a a little string quartet came from, but it's uh, it's the chord changes later on in in the song that I just sort of stole and stuck on the beginning as an intro, and then when I turned it into strings, the light bulb really went off, and so I knew that I had to had to get some really great players. And that's when uh, Charlie Bisharat and Cameron Stone and Ian Walker all uh, lent their incredible talents to this record. And it was not only on this song, but uh, a couple few others. And then oddly, this song in its arrangement is might be the closest to the original in that there's just sort of this kind of pounding bass drum and that very weird sliding like you're dragging a body across the floor mm-hmm. <laughs> sound. Yeah. If you guys know what I'm talking about, you know, boom, boom. And that's uh, I was like, you know, that's cool. Let's just kind of update that sound. So I, I took a banjo case and I put it on the floor and I mic'd it up and I just pounded on the banjo case for that's the kick drum sound with my fist. And then I had this other little box of, uh, what do you call them, uh, glockenspiel that I that I slid across the my, my hardwood floor with a little bit of dust in the box. And so I took those and sliced them all together, and that's what created the bed of the, the rhythm. And then... Uh, wow. Yeah, so... And then what you hear mostly is a beautiful little instrument called a griffin by a guy named Joe Vayette, who's out of uh, Woodstock, New York. And you guys, if you've seen me play with the monkeys, you've seen me play that a couple of times. I do it with uh, Randy Scouse Git with Mickey, the little duet that I do with a solo with him. Um, that's that instrument, and it's it is such an important part of creating some of these more jangly and beautiful chimey uh, soundscapes. 
And then the what really, really did it for me, though, was Ian Walker's upright bass playing. His fills on this song are so out of control. <laughs> just amazing. And he was doing, he, you know, and you have to remember that except for the drums and uh, Jim Cox's keys, everybody sent this stuff to me. They all did it over the wire. So that was him just sending me takes. And what do you think of this? And how do you like that? So all those great, great lines. But I knew that's what, what Ian could do because that's sort of some of the bag that he's done on, uh, on Cersei Records in the past. But he's also an incredibly accomplished orchestral upright bass player as well. Uh, and then Alex Jules appears as a whistler, and I'm just not going to tell you why. <laughs> I'm going to let you guys experience that uh, yourself. But I think it was a really cool thing to do at the end of the Well, I, I remember I spoke to Christian. And he said, I just need somebody who can whistle. Do you know anybody? And I said, um, yeah, Alex Jules. I've heard Alex Jules whistle. And, um, and, and I had um, no idea. I mean, <laughs> that he was right on, under my nose. And uh, thank God to Glenn for turning me on to that. <laughs> That's my small contribution, very small contribution to to the production of this album. Apart from ah, my, go obviously, on. well, apart from the money, which I guess is is, is slightly <laughs> important, but on the actual production side, that <laughs> um, that was probably one of my few contributions. <laughs> well, as an outsider, I'm going to tell you what it, this song made me feel like, and kind of what I heard, and it all can be summed up in one sentence. Miggy takes us into the White Album and touches of head. And I will let people sit with that till they can actually hear the whole track. Are you talking about the middle section? Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I thought that that was something that would... Because the thing is, is this song, this song is, is basically just three stanzas, mm -hmm. you know? And I, I knew that there was something more that we could do. So uh, there's a little bit of a, a departure in the middle of the song. We'll just leave it at that. Yeah. It's kind of fun talking about an album that people have yet to hear. So yeah. I'm not showing all my cards, right? You're not showing all your cards. None of us are, but it's it's kind of fun. Glenn, you said earlier, how come this had never happened before, right? That's the obvious question. But then it really comes down to just in the same way you were able to get these wonderful performances from people through the wireless, if you will, because of COVID and everything. It's very much also what 7A has always been about. We started the label because the albums that we wanted to buy weren't available. Mm -hmm. We wanted to buy Mickey's MGM singles. They weren't available. Right. So we went and licensed them and we put them out. We wanted to hear Mickey sings Nesmith. It wasn't available. Here it is. There you go. And the other side of that is that had it not been for COVID, Mickey the Shark, and I know that's not his poker name or anything, but um, <laughs> <laughs> Mickey is like, you know, there's that old story about a shark. If it stops swimming, it'll die, right? Mickey has not been on tour since COVID started. And right. we're all like, same with Cheap Trick, right? How do they exist without touring constantly, you know? How <laughs> well, I'll tell you, uh, you know, Mickey is, is the one guy who was coming over here, and we were all very, very careful and very respectful of, of each other's safety uh, during that process. But he spent, obviously, a lot of time here in my home, which is where I'm talking to you from, and where, we, where I did most of the recording. And uh, not to divulge too much stuff, but he seemed very happy and almost surprised himself 
at how much he was enjoying his home time. He was enjoying working working in his shop and spending time mm-hmm. with Donna and, you know, spending time with his kids and, and his grandkids. And, and uh, I think it, it he may have almost been unaware of uh, what he was missing. And so he was, to that end, I think he was very grateful for that. But I don't want to speak for Mickey too much. No, but it is a reminder of what is important. You know, you work hard all your life for this thing and you may be working so much you don't get a chance to actually experience like some have been able to do during this time. So God bless Mickey and God bless his family. Life is what happens while you're busy making other plans. Very true. Very true. So had there been no COVID, this album may have never come to be, right? Likely not. Yeah. Not in this way, anyway. Yeah, exactly. So let's go to the second track, Different Drum. Yep. Wow, that's all I can say. What are your thoughts, Christian, on this one? Well, this was the one song that I felt, um, I, I mean, uh, Nez has talked about it before, and I and I certainly appreciate uh, what his uh, what he means by this. He has never cared for uh, Ronstadt's original version. And mostly because uh, it missed the uh, intent of the song, which is a sad song. You know, these people can't work it out. It's not going to be they're just not going to be able to get it, get it together. And so it's a lament. You know, it's a it's it's a a sad song. And Nez has done it in uh, various levels of somberness. But what I felt is that the original producer of the like did the Linda version touched on something that there is there is a pop record to be had here but i also took it took it with uh with nez's thinking in mind that it can't be quite so la-di-da and i'm not saying the original version is a bad version i just think that it may have missed the intent of the tune and uh so what i wanted to do is i wanted to make it a more you know a, a pop record but with a little teeth you know, a little bit, a little bit of a uh, of, of strong approaches, and it's all major chords. You know, it's not. It's like it's it's a it's a it's a it's it melodically and and chordally, it's a it's a happy tune. So how do you do that and put a little muscle behind it? And I I uh, I just just kind of rocked it up a, a little bit, just you know, a little bit bigger drums, a little larger bass. And then the last thing was to find one little sort of trick instrument that would that you could hang your hat on, such as the harpsichord that's in Linda's version. But harpsichord is too la di da, and so I was like, what what could I do that's kind of hooky and poppy, but it's got some teeth to it? And then harmonica, it just made perfect sense. So uh, I got Alex Uren to play harmonica, and he did a great job, and uh, and we came up with a hook that that I think is very effective, and he did a great solo, and uh, and so that gets a, it, it that gives it just a little uh, just enough sort of earthy grit to bring it back into the place where I think Nez was more thinking. What surprised me the most about it, and really blew me away, was how well it suits uh, Mickey's voice. Uh, and I think his singing on the whole album is is great, but uh, and on this track in particular, I think his vocals are outstanding, and I think um, he sounds like a 21 year old. Yeah, well, that seems to be the case pretty much throughout the record. Um, you know, given that we're talking about a 76, 77 year old guy who just sounds like he's in his 20s the whole way through. It still, it's, still it's, sings in the same key. Yeah. Yeah, it's all the things. Well, well, actually, um, 
yeah, he sings all the stuff live in the original keys, every single song. But here we knocked most everything up from Nez's keys. Yeah. Uh, one, two, three notes. Actually, well, I think one of them is even up a, a fourth, if if I'm not mistaken. So, yeah, and because uh, that's the other thing is I wanted to make sure that I that that we were taking advantage of of Mickey Dolan's range. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that he's got this great high tenor voice. You know, <laughs> let's use that. So, and he really showed up. He did it. He did the work and was just such a treat to work with here in my studio. Uh, just solid pro all the way through. Mm-hmm. I agree. It sounds great. My quick note, the only thing I'll say about it is it sounds like it could have been on the Good Times album, Easy. Hmm. And I mean that as a huge compliment. Well, I think that, you know, Adam Schlesinger's production, Rest in Peace, uh, is, is, you know, spot on. You know, he, he was a great engineer and he, he really made that sound, made that, uh, made that record pop. So to be compared with that, that's a, that's a, a great thing. Fantastic. Love Adam Schlesinger. Love what he did for all of us in this community. And uh, he is missed. The next track, Don't Wait For Me. Yeah. And this was something that was something I was I, I was not familiar with. I didn't know this song. And when uh, Andrew turned me on to it, we had gotten down to a list of about 30 um, that was going to be sort of our final final choosing choosing roster and when i heard this i was like this is cool man um and i also uh it's me doing the finger picking guitar on there and it my style of production tends to be grand uh layered big cinematic so i wanted to make sure that that we definitely touched on moments of intimacy in throughout the record and not just let my style of production just barrel uh, you know steamroll over everything and uh it also struck me as sort of a an analog to blackbird mm, and how, yes and, and, on how it uh it translates on the white album it's early on in the record and that it, and that that they came from some of these larger songs and just came right down to just paul and, a, and an acoustic mm-hmm. i loved that notion and i and i wanted to wanted to sort of take it to the same place so after having these two large production songs open up the record it made complete sense to uh to drop drop down and just get real in, intimate uh with it and uh and i was able to uh take a couple of liberties with the original demo um you know the original demo uh and and was it on missing links is that where it is uh anyway uh you know, Nez is more of a strummer, and mm-hmm. so I wanted to uh, I wanted to have something a little more of a of, of a driving finger picking sort of thing, and it lent to some fun little parts. And so, yeah, just Mickey and an acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. It was reminiscent of the picking style in Blackbird. Yeah, yeah, that was absolutely the thing. Glenn. Well, I think, as Christian said, it's a really nice break to have a, you know, an acoustic song after the first two. And, and it, it sits so well on the album. And Mickey's done acoustic songs before. And, and obviously some of them, the Good Morning Good Morning song he did with Cersei and Christian in the studio, in the home studio, sounded great, too. So his voice lends itself well to these acoustic arrangements. In my notes, and I sent this to you, it's, uh, Christian, I think it's interesting how you mentioned the intimacy 
of the performance. Mm -hmm. In my notes, I say the guitar is beautiful. There is a beautiful intimacy there in the playing and Mickey's performance as well. And we have talked, you and I, uh, before about Mickey, along with Robin Zander, second cheap trick mentioned in this episode. <laughs> oh, by the way, thanks for turning me on. Of course, that new song is Crushing by Cheap Trick. Okay, keep going. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Wait till you hear the whole album. Yeah. So the thing is, is that Mickey, along with Robin Zander, they're both able to perform a song. And when I say perform, I mean act a song. Some yeah. singers can sing. Some singers can inhabit. And Mickey does that like a chameleon over and over and over again on this album. Yeah, we were really looking for 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 each sort of approach to each song to have its own thing. And when you're so completely exposed with uh, with just one acoustic guitar and one vocal, it's important to be intimate is the word that keeps coming back around yes. and tell the story of the lyrics. You know, uh, of course, it's it's another breakup song by Nez, but it's interesting that Mickey is able to convey this while still honoring the melody so well, you know. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yes. The next track, Keep On. Which is probably my favorite on the record. It, it is one of mine as well. I mean, I, I've, this is the one I keep returning to. I've been playing it over and over in my car. It's, it's, um, I really love the arrangement on this one. Yeah. This song, because of its melody, because of the, of the hook, the Consider the Source hook, was just ripe for, for just making it gr gigantic. This one more than most is one of those cinematic examples it's a very simple song but what i was looking for is something to make it just go kaboom and having the band respond to mickey saying consider the source with these uh, with these big gigantic crashes in a place that you would not think of it in the rhythm rhythmic structure was so pleasing to me and uh and christopher alice and jim cox playing that playing that b3 on there is just it couldn't have have been more perfect and there are some underlying actually gigantic rock guitars on under underneath there and and some bubbling synthesizer things going on and it really manifested from what i heard in my head and when i was sort of working on when I was sitting with there with just an acoustic guitar and translated all the way through to the final recording. I'm really happy about, happy with that song. Mm -hmm. yeah, well, here's my little one-line note, if you will. Folks, get ready for this. There's a wave of a porpoise song that floats over us, and we drift into yes territory. And I don't mean positive. I mean the band. Yes, I love the effect that is on Mickey's voice at times and some of the voices that come back at him. That's all I'm going to say. Well, I'll, I'll just tell you, as we're running uh, Mickey's voice through a Leslie, uh, the, oh. this, which, is, which is the, which is the amplifier that you use for a, a Hammond B3 organ. Mm -hmm. So that's what that kind of sound is. I love that effect. I think, Christian, you called it his radio voice, didn't you? Radio well, we do, we do some of that, too. But the, and the Hammond has some of that that notion. Um, it's funny that you say yes, 
Ken, because that's kind of where I'm stealing from. There's a song by Yes called And You and I, and uh, it's off of Close to the Edge. And there's a break towards towards the beginning of the song where there's a point counterpoint and uh, and the background vocals are all run through a Leslie. And I just have always loved that production choice. And I've used it in several places uh, over, over the years. It's actually showing up in the Cersei Nye's new prog record. So there's, uh, yeah, that's that. That's what's happening is that that uh that Leslie. Fantastic. Well let's listen to a little bit of keep on right here. Just one more acknowledgement on that song is uh, is that drum beat is, is a direct rip from a King's X song called Not Just for the Dead. And so yes. Jerry Gaskill is a, is is King's X are good friends of mine and I love that band. So why not use that beat? So thank you, Jerry, for making up that beat. You know, I was going to suggest that, but I, I wasn't sure. But it's it true. makes yeah. sense. It makes Absolutely. sense. So now we are up on Marie's theme. Mm-hmm. What can you tell us about this one? What do you think I can tell you about this one? <laughs> well, do you, do you want me to do my uh, one note? No, you go first, and then I'll read All right, one. all right. Okay. The keyboard reminds me of something off of a 60s album, close to a harpsichord. I love the bass and the percussion. There you go. Well... Again, this is a, a sort of a combo and, and that little instrument I told you about, the griffin, mm-hmm. that is uh, it's working in conjunction with this little sort of synthesizer bubble. So what you're hearing that sounds like a harpsichord is actually the griffin. But the two of those working together, they form this uh, this sort of pulsing, happy bed of love. <laughs> and... Uh, and I think uh, this is one of Nez's strongest songs of all time. It also appeals to my uh, grand outro. I love outros, you know, just fading off into the sunset. So uh, uh, having that that hook line living behind all the logic one finds it without truth, just fading into the distance, you know, it was, I was just in in hog heaven to do that one and uh and pete finney decorated it so nicely it, it, you know i gotta say something about about uh pedal steel is uh we had to be really really careful because we had to use pedal steel we couldn't not you know <laughs> just as right. an homage we couldn't not use pedal steel but because red is so red roads uh it, it was important that we find a way to approach this um in a more lovely, dreamy state that wasn't just trying to ape what Red did. Um, and I and I also like this song because um, I, I sort of ripped the uh, the groove from the car's drive. Mm. So uh, when I was able to get uh, pick that, and, you'll, and once you go back and listen to it, you go, oh, of course you did. There you go. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I am 
absolutely not ashamed to go and, and point to my in influences and and where I get ideas from. Uh, there's nothing new under the sun. It's just a way of repurposing it to make it your own. Um, and so that that beautiful groove uh, that that is on on that song made complete sense underneath this song. Personally, I, I always loved the lyrics to this song. I like the way that it goes from after the, the first chorus, it, then the, the drums and the bass kicks in. And I think that makes such a nice change. That change from the first chorus into the second yeah. is, is something that really makes the song for me. Yeah, it's a nice lift. But I think you're you're also onto something, Glenn, that, that the lyrics, uh, I mean, essentially, this, this song is summing up the whole notion of the prison, uh, which is, is that we are, uh, this prison that we see ourselves in is only of our own making and once we can let those let those fears and those resentments and and other other negative aspects in our thinking fall away so does the prison mm. and so that's that's why this song i believe is so strong very good our next track this is almost a twofer because it fades so well into the other one but we're going to start here and we'll get to the second part of this if you will do you think of them as a since you're the producer and you you know how did you approach taking this and blending it into the next track are we talking about nine times blue and little red rider yes yeah uh well i mean it's actually uh and i don't know if this is sacrilege but it, it's two of the three uh songs that are the triptych that are the opening songs of uh the first first national band record mm -hmm. Magnetic South and but Calico Girlfriend was another one of those songs that was just so nez that I didn't feel that it was really going to translate over to having uh, uh, Mickey do it also because the chords and the rhythm and it just didn't lend itself to, you know, nez hit it. He, he just nailed it on the first one. <laughs> I'm just not going to be able to do it better than that. So I just moved right into uh, Nine Times Blue and Mickey had the idea of doing it, it actually started out a, with another sort of finger picking thing. Mm -hmm. And Mickey pulled me off of that because I gave him a demo of that that idea. And he said, what about if we just kind of do it completely rubato and no time and let me just work with a piano player and just let it push and pull on its own natural rhythm? And I said, that's fantastic. Great idea. So let's let's do that. And so what I had I had built I'll jump forward and I, I, I knew that I that Little Red Rider is a great rock song and it's really cool in the way it's originally re uh, represented. But I wanted to sort of see if we could take it to another even more um, rock in place. So I had that ready to go. And uh, when we were we actually did two studio sessions, the drums and keyboards, um, because I wanted a beautifully mic'd grand piano and a, and a well mic'd B3. So Jim Cox came in and he did he did uh, all the specialty keyboards on that. And it was so wonderful to work with him in the studio as well. And so on that one day, though, while we were doing all the other keyboards, Mickey stopped into that studio and they did that live. So what you hear is it's not it, it's a real push and pull live as it happened piano and vocal thing. The, the Christian's guitar on Little Red Rider and and Jim's piano playing uh, organ playing on there is probably my favorite. 
Well, here's my little notes on Nine Times Blue, and then we'll go into Little Red Rider. What an amazing piano performance. Mickey is acting once again with his voice, as he does so well. The background vocals are stunning and sound like a choir. There are shades of accidental hipster, so if you love that, it will echo uh, love. And, 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 I, and I love how it uh, phases into the guitar and bass in Little Red Rider. So now... Little Red Rider, if you've ever wanted to hear Mickey Dolan sing lead in Deep Purple, uh, this is it, folks. If uh, this is Little Red Rider of Deep Purple, cut it, as far as I'm concerned. Great solo by some guy named Christian Nesmith on guitar. <laughs> and uh, Jim Cox on the solo on the keyboards. This song somehow manages to straddle so many decades, and it struts at the same time. So I don't know how that works, but it is it is something that you've never heard before. Well, I don't have much to add to that, <laughs> so that's great. Uh, except to just say, yeah, I want it to be a very big rocker, and 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 don't overlook uh, Christopher Alice's drumming on that. The his his uh, his energy and his forward and and yeah. he just he just hits the drums so well um uh it, it it it's just a breeze to record and it was a breeze to mix and made that made that whole song just explode i think you got a snippet of that ken haven't you yes we do called uh dolan's does deep purple <laughs> <laughs> yeah. nobody's yeah, gonna go. take my car <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a trip yeah so you can see that it, you know the R little red rider is just bashing away um and uh and and i think your listeners are going to be very uh happy with Jim Jim Cox's organ solo it's out of its mind uh and uh and I wanted a a little moment where where it would sounded like it was a full band and sort of just off and jamming um yeah so there you go definitely yeah so there you go and when we had 
uh, Cersei build these great big Oz, like a, a, a female choir, and it just works so great. And then, you know, using studio trickery and special effects and, and, and you know. Uh, I, I, I just want to add, we're, we're so lucky to have Cersei on this album as well, because her backing vocals um, are absolutely amazing. And I think she is it's almost like having an extra instrument uh, throughout the album to have her uh, on the backing vocals. Yeah, uh, one of the, uh, when Cersei and I first got together and started making music together, it was so natural for her to want to be uh, uh, adding these background parts as a string part or as a horn part, not just oohs and ahs, but w a way to decorate it more uh, as a big band arranger would or an orchestral arranger would. Uh, and she she immediately gravitated toward that. She understood that right away. And uh, and so, you know, as as you guys know, if you've been listening to Searching Link records uh, throughout the years, that kind of stuff is all over the place. And so I couldn't ask for anybody else to come in and build those wall of vocals. Uh, and some of those places, there's, you know, there's 24 Cersei's all built up, you know, singing four part times six. And, and it makes such a huge difference. It just yeah. makes for a much fuller, fuller production. Yeah. Well, I'm a big Queen and Beatles and Journey fan, and the way those guys all used their background vocals, it, it wasn't just oohs and ahs. It was much, It was more than that, and I was, I've always been uh, sensitive and appreciative of that. You know? mm -hmm. uh, the next track is Tomorrow and Me. Mm -hmm. Give us uh, a bit of a look behind the producer's chair. Well, the original is uh, is very, very stripped down. And I didn't want to get too far away from that, but I needed a new key and I wanted to try something a little different uh, guitar wise, not just not just uh, strummed, but a, a, more of a part. So I've got that arpeggiated acoustic guitar on there. But aside from Mickey's uh, performance, which uh, this this one, we really pushed him. This is the highest song on the record. And he just really rose to the challenge on that one. But uh, aside from that, it's Charlie Bisharat. <laughs> I mean, yeah. get the hell out of here, this guy. Uh, um, and if you don't know who Charlie Bisharat is, you know he's 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 just been one of those guys who's been around forever. He's played on on several songs for Cersei. I've known him for years, and he just doesn't miss. It just it's he's one of those guys. He just walks in and knows what to do. So I sent off, sent him off the track, and <laughs> what I got back, I was I was like, okay, that's it, done. I remember quite early on, uh, uh, Christian wrote to me, "Are you okay with us hiring uh, Charlie to play on this track?" And I I didn't know Charlie, so I googled him, and I was just absolutely blown away by um by how good he was, and um and I've I've sent you a snippet of that song as well, Ken. Mm-hmm. That I wonder if you can play because that shows you his skills. Let's play this clip right now from Tomorrow Me featuring Charlie Bisharat, and it is fantastic.
just a fantastic version of this song. So wonderful. Great performances all around. And then one that, uh, you know, I, I, this, this mother took me by surprise to quote John Lennon. This one really surprised me. And I cannot tell you what is awaiting you, Monkeys fans, but Mickey Dolan's doing Circle Sky. And I'll give you my one sentence later, but take it away, Christian Esmith. Well, everybody needs to give Cersei Link complete and total credit for why this song even exists the way it does. Because I was kicking this around and I had no idea how to do it. Um, I just I knew I wanted to do this song. It's I love this song. It's one of Nez's best, even despite how simple it is. Um, but you know, Circle Sky on 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 the head is just just one of the monkeys' most destroying rocking tracks they have my if not the most um and and so how the hell do i do that justice and cersei just walked into the studio one day and said why don't you do it as like an indian raga or something and i was like wow yes bing 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 and uh and and uh and i was off and running um and that just that that made so much sense because basically this whole the whole song, uh, except for the for the break in the in in the bridge, it's all in one key. Yeah, it's like a dervish. You know, it's just kind of pulsing along. I mean, it looks like it looks like we made it once again. It's got a little chord change in there, but it's still all all in one key. Mm-hmm. So to take that. Anybody who's familiar with Indian ragas are they're all in one key. So mm-hmm. that was a great launching point, and and then it was just a matter now that I I knew where I wanted to go, and as I started experimenting with it, uh, I knew that I needed to get the real deal on it, and uh, so we got Ron on uh, Indian percussion um, playing tablas and a couple of other odd Indian drums, and then I came up with a. Uh, an orchestral part, which was uh, sort of an answer. Well, to backtrack, I I had a I took one of my guitars and tuned it into this really strange, weird tuning. And so the the thing that kind of sounds like a a sitar on there is actually an acoustic guitar in this odd Nashville tuning. And I've just mangled it. <laughs> and so that's what I'm playing all over the all over that. But I when I played the line. It made sense to have uh, an answer to the line, so I started fooling around with uh, with virtual uh, orchestral instruments, and that's when I decided we had to get get real strings on this one. And so, as we've mentioned them before, Charlie Bishrot and Cameron Stone and mm-hmm. Ian Walker, they all created an orchestra and took several passes of a line that I of, of this part that I sent them, and they played back for me and. And they uh, they just killed it, and so it sounds like you got got a, a great Middle Eastern slash Indian, uh, and there's even some taiko drums on there. Uh, so we got we got Far East as well, and I'm a huge fan of Eastern music. I think that it 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 goes so deep, and I wish more people could appreciate Turkish music and 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 ancient Arabic music and and deep Indian music and all and there's so much to be had there that can that because it's so ancient 
it really re uh, reaches into your soul. My mind was spinning when I heard it for the first time. <laughs> what, what on earth? And I, I just absolutely love it. Um, and it's one of those, it's difficult to explain. I think people have to hear it for themselves. Um, but but what, what was your first impression, Ken, when you heard it? Well, other than the big goofy smile and just digging it, this is all I could manage to scrawl down, type out. Oh my God, Circle Sky by way of George Harrison and Ravi Shankar. This is amazing. That's, and, that's it, yeah. And Glenn, I know that your wife had mentioned something about this. Well, she's from Sri Lanka originally. And, I didn't uh, know that. Oh. And, 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 um, and, uh, and she listened to it. And, and she's, not a, um, she's not a particular, she's not really a Monkees fan or a fan of 60s music. But she listened to this version of Circle Sky and, and she said, wow, that's great. That's absolutely great. That sounds just right. And um, and that was um, that was great to hear. Christian is smiling. I can hear it. Yes, I am. Up next, Propinquity. Which I hope, because it's going to be the... Uh, sorry to interrupt you, but be, uh, because it's... Uh, uh, they're, they're using it as, as one of the two songs released as a single, that I hope people will learn how to pronounce it correctly. It's propinquity, and it means nearness. Um, so uh, that's a, I'm glad that they chose that. Um, anyway, what do you think of propinquity? Well, uh, I said that this is a bouncy version of this song that echoes country but with modern touches. So it's, it's a, if, if you're going to say it's country, it's almost like more modern country, if you will. To me, this would not be out of place on modern country radio, but there's still enough of what we love about it, so it's all good. Yeah, you hit it pretty much uh, right on the head, and I am, you know, I don't, uh, not to bag on anybody, but I'm not necessarily a fan of, of modern country because so much of it is, you know... Cookie cutter. Well, it, it's cookie cutter. It's uh, it's also I don't I don't care for the uh, the the pandering lyrics, mm -hmm. and I think that you know Mutt Lang with Shania so long ago created this sort of tendency where it's just you know it's basically Def Leppard with fiddles, you know. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so. Which I suppose, you know, if people dig it, you know, blast off. I'm glad it makes you happy. But there is a there is a, a sound where you can have sort of this power rock thing with a, a slightly country flavor to it, and and it works just fine. I, I mean, country is rock and roll if you trace trace it all the way back. I mean, it's right. all kind of the same thing. It's blues and it's mountain music and it's rock and roll and it's 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 all of that stuff. So. That's all fair game, but in this case, we get we get some we get some great poetry from Nez, we get some great melody from Nez, and we get that melody represented really well in a very solid pop delivery from Mickey. And so there wasn't much to it, and I I kind of just stumbled across the uh, the hook. It wasn't a it, it wasn't really sort of a searching thing. It just kind of revealed itself. And then I uh, you know built a big solid band and and just kind of blue lead guitar all over it, <laughs> which is actually that that guitar is uh, one take first take from top to bottom. So um, it's just what what came out of me at that moment. Well, if this song somehow did find its way on some playlist on a modern country station, it would probably be one of the most intelligent-based songs <laughs> that is currently right. on the charts, right? So right. it's, uh, it's you know, there's nothing wrong with exploring different uh, colors and 
textures and this is just another one that this album hits on glenn your thoughts on propinquity it's one of the tracks that i keep returning to and i've been playing it over and over uh, ever since i christian first sent me the recordings it's a great power pop rock song that just makes you feel happy and it absolutely blows the roof of my car whenever i play it loud and there's a great guitar instrumental in there by um by christian which i think i sent you a snippet of Um, it runs for four minutes, 45 seconds, but it's not, in my opinion, not a second too long. It, it's, And that's why we chose to be on the new single. Mm-hmm. Our next track, Tapioca Tundra. I, I hope this is as much of a pleasant surprise uh, for uh, people to listen to as it was to create. Um, I have all, as I've said before, I've, I've always been a huge Queen fan, and mm-hmm. I... Uh, I also uh, I'm a fan of uh, Paul McCartney's love of of uh, 30s music, 1930s music, um, and uh, so uh, the chord changes of this song and the melody of this song made complete sense. But I wanted to throw a wrench in it, and so as you guys will be able to tell, it's bouncing back and forth from straight four four beat to a waltz. And back and forth and back and forth all throughout the song. Yeah. And then uh, and then, you know, with, with, again, with the help of Cersei's incredible vocals, we were able to uh, build a point counterpoint, very Queen-esque uh, middle section between Mickey's vocals and Cersei's vocals. And it, it was it was a lot of fun to do that. Jim Cox playing piano throughout. It's one of the more uh, sort of thought out production pieces. Mm-hmm. But I love the way that it came out. It, it's funny that it, that on one on one end it's kind of just a little ditty, mm-hmm. you know, and on the other end it's a it's a it's 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 this sort of large production journey packed into three minutes, you know. Fantastic. My notes it just says ragtime and it plays with the '60s yet not copying anything. It's emulating but not copying. Yeah, if I was to point to anything, it would be things like uh, what Freddie and Roger Taylor did in the song Seaside Rendezvous off of A Night at the Opera. Mm -hmm. Um, And I always love that kind of, again, a use of background vocals as orchestral instruments. Fantastic. You know, it's weird. Some things that come up with the Monkees fans, I've noticed a lot of them don't like it when the the monkeys would veer into that, but they, they forget how much in vogue that was, whether, whether it was Winchester Cathedral, which was big, Mamas and Papas doing stuff from that time, Paul McCartney doing stuff from that time. 
Yeah, and the association and exactly and, and the uh, the Calcils and you tiny know, Tim, <laughs> you know, sorry? every tiny Tim even you know tiny Tim uh, man. But have you seen that Calcils uh, documentary that's yes. off? Yes, oh so my good. god, Jesus, what heartbreak! I know it's it's soul crushing at times, but it's it's a very great documentary. What's really interesting though is that I did some work with Debbie Peterson and a gal named Siobhan Marr, and they had a little mm-hmm. temporary group called Kindred Spirit, and uh, they were uh, uh, it, it was just those those two gals, and uh, and they sort of brought me into their fold, and we did a little tour, just like a really stripped down acoustic tour, and uh, um, and uh, but I don't know if you know, but Debbie Peterson, her sister Vicky, uh, yes. is 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 married to John Cowsell. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had a little bit of uh, of of crossover and exposure to those guys. And let me just tell you, I have one little story. I don't know if it, you will ever use this, but right at the when I was hanging out with with them, um, there is a little pub. And as a matter of fact, at the at the opening of that Cowsell's. Uh, documentary is mm-hmm. it it's not john it's uh who's the who's 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 the brother that that started the whole journey um and you see him in a little pub uh at the very beginning of the movie playing on a little teeny stage well that little teeny stage is a, is in a pub on Ventura Boulevard that was right down the street from Debbie Peterson's old house um in Woodland Hills and i was there and we all went down to that pub went one night and my old band, which is a band called Milk, and we did a lot of vocal harmonies and stuff. So there was a there was a crossover there as well. But we were in there and there was Debbie and Vicky and Siobhan and uh, and uh, John Cowsill. And the uh, the other brother who you see there and I forget this, the, the, the youngest sister's name. Um she was there too. Susan. Susan Castle. That's right. And they all got up on stage completely impromptu, no rehearsal, and did dedicated to the one I love. <laughs> wow. Oh, and everybody knew what part to sing. It was just like completely off the cuff. It was insane. The, the point and counterpoint. And so, it, it, you know, Aside from the tragedy, you you have to you you people need to know the vocal prowess and harmony prowess of two bands, the Cowsills and the Bangles. These these two bands are are unbelievable and and are sold short far too often. They're incredible incredible musicians and singers. Agreed, one hundred percent. There you go. So anyway, I had to just say that and get it on the record. If you ever use that, please do. It's worth it. So, but we were talking about uh, why did we get on the cow sales? Oh, we were talking about tapioca tundra and 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 about how at the time in the '60s there was this movement of vaudeville and everything from the '20s to the '40s that was becoming in vogue again. Yeah, and uh, and I've always loved the uh, the use of those vocals in more than just a do to do thing. Mm-hmm. So to be able to maximize that, and you know, Mickey is doing. You should also know that there's many spots on the record that Mickey is building all of his own vocals, and we're definitely that's coming up and something we're about to talk about as well. So mm-hmm. our next song, "Only Bound." Yeah, and my notes are. 
sitting around the campfire with Mickey, and it feels like we're going to hear as we go along. Well, I I, um, I really love Only Bound, uh, and the um, there's a particular sort of segue in there where it goes. It almost sounds like Free as a Bird by the Beatles, mm-hmm. where, again, I don't know if it's the radio voice or you might be able to explain better, Christian, but it goes from Mickey doing his normal vocals and then goes into this side of radio layered voice, um, mm-hmm. and it creates a really nice break that reminded me of Free as a Bird. And for me, the whole song just works really well. Mm-hmm. So, Christian, as the producer, what do you? Th- what are your thoughts? What are your memories of Only Bound? Well, I, I, I got to say this too, uh, which I didn't say from the outset. You have to understand that my exposure to these songs is has been literally my whole life, mm-hmm. and so they have a certain characteristic in them that is iconic. They they relate and resonate with me in a way that's like an old pair of jeans. Like just, it's just, you just know them. I just know them so well, but some of them were a little less listened to and a little, a little less on the, on the radar. And this was one of them only bound. I mean, I remembered it, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't right up front. And as I listened to it again, um, I was like, this is just a straight up yearning quality tune um, in, in sort of that, uh, cowboy waltz, lonesome prairie style, um, and uh, but I loved. Again, I'm a fan of outros, and so I loved what what Nez had done originally on it, and just sort of took those chord changes and you know moseyed off onto into the sunset. Um, and so I wanted to I wanted to play with that too, but I didn't want to do it again as a waltz, and I tried it straight four four, and it worked you know, seamlessly. So there's not a lot to be said about the production value of this. It's, it, it's, uh, it's just sort of kind of textural and some strummy acoustic guitars and, and uh, sort of straight drums. It's about uh, when we get to the end. We've had this lovely uh, yearning uh, tribute of a song to the, to the one he loves. But then we get this... Uh, Instead of taking Red's instrumental approach to making a swirly, I wanted to do something with vocals. And so that's what I did. I had this sort of part that overlapped and created occasional three-part harmonies that Mickey built all three parts. And that was what I wanted to use that faded off into the sunset. And if you listen, I put, as, as the, the song does fade away, I pull the band out first and just allow Mickey to, to do those parts with uh, with just the vocals, and that seemed to work very well, not only on its own, but as a transition into the very, very end of the of the record. Fantastic. Up next, you are my one. The very, very end of the record, which was uh, <laughs> you are my one. And so, yeah, that takes us to you are my one. Um, and very similar to wh- the way Nez originally used it was it was sort of just this trip. You know, just this, this, this sort of freak out uh, segue or step away from normalcy for a moment. And I loved the, the kind of wacky chords in it. And again, I wanted to do something that was all vocals. So there are four, four or five parts in there, each creating this collective 
that uh, that makes up this very short tune at the very very end of the record, and Mickey is singing all of it. So that's uh, it's really really cool for him to be able to build this vocal extravaganza that just takes us takes us off into the sunset. The fantastic way to end the album proper. I don't know how else to say this except to say it, but I think in some ways these versions that are on this album are different enough that they stand on their own. But not only that, they may even supplant uh, my go-to version on some of these. Well, I don't know if that was ever my intent, but uh, I wanted them to definitely be a standalone and uh, and make sure that they were never aping the originals uh, while still absolutely paying tribute to the quality of the songwriting uh, that Nez clearly has, you know. So, And then do we want to talk about Grand Ennui or? Well, that's up to you, sir. And, of course, Grand Ennui is the CD bonus track. Yep. Grand Ennui was tough, actually, uh, because it is probably the song that has been recorded the most times. Mm-hmm. Nez, I, I think, has done, what, two or three studio versions of it. Mm-hmm. And then there's three or four live versions of it. And each version is a different approach. So to come up with yet another <laughs> approach to this song and still make it rock and still have fun with it, that was tough. Um, and uh, it's on the end of the record uh, as a bonus track. I I didn't feel that it felt that it sat in the context of creating a, a singularly flowing album. And that's one reason why it's on the end. But, but Glenn, uh, to his credit fought for it and made it a bonus track. And so it's it's kind of just sitting out there on the end of the album, but worth it. And and so if that makes you buy the CD, it's a good reason to do it. It's absolutely worth it. Well, I just want to thank you for letting us be part of this as far as uh getting to hear this before it came out and a way to let people know that they could that they should probably jump on the the uh, horn and order this as soon as they can this is a really good album Uh, i really enjoy it just fantastic all the way around thank you very much both christian and glenn you're very welcome i hope that they pick this up Uh, uh you know it can be said very uh very easily that that uh, the monkeys community and the artists that are covered outside of that, you know, when we got a, uh, me and Cersei and all, of course, all of the monkeys solo stuff. And we got a, a, other people who, who, who are under that umbrella. What is clear is that all of it is embraced so lovingly by the fans. And, uh, and so I think that this, this will be in keeping with something that they're really, really going to like. And so I hope they pick it up. Um, and, uh, and I hope that it, that, that it stands as strong as we feel about it. So. Absolutely. Those of you who are wanting a new monkeys record, this is kind of about as close as you're going to get for, for the moment. So (laughs) pick this up, order this, uh, Zilch's highest recommendation. So there you go. Don't forget you can get the digital single, Different Drum Back with Propinquity, available from Amazon and iTunes in the U.S. and in the U.K. too. The album will be released on May 21st. Take steps to order accordingly on CD, vinyl, or digital, or however you listen to your music. Right, Glenn? 
So yeah, and it'll be on all the big internet providers, iTunes Store, Amazon, all the big ones. And then Spotify. Yeah, but the Spotify won't. Obviously, you won't get it until after the 23rd, um, right. where you can get previews on the other ones before that. The album is available to pre-order, and you can right the now. <laughs> you can get it from several different shops. You can get it from Mickey's own shop, MickeyDolans.com. You can get it autographed. The cheapest places to get it from. A couple of websites called importcds.com and deepdiscount.com. It doesn't make any difference to, to me or 7A where you get it from because we get a flat fee. We sell it to our distributor for a fixed price. And what basically happens then, everybody, then all the shops make up their own prices after that. So if we can point you to the right places to get it from, that's what we'll try and do. But importcds.com and deepdiscount.com and mickeydolans.com and obviously Amazon as well. All right. And we want to thank you, Glenn, as well, for being here today. Well, thank you so much for your support, Ken. And, and especially thank you to Christian as well for all your hard work on this album. And well, um, th- uh, it, that goes both ways. Thank you for making it possible. It was, uh, you know, had you not taken the risk, we wouldn't be sitting here right now. So, And, uh, yeah, I'm just absolutely over the moon with the album. And I hope people will like it, too. I'm sure they will. Uh, it's um, For me, it's a, it's a dream come true. I've been a Monkees fan my whole life. But I work for another record company as well, Not Now Music, and I've released probably hundreds or if not thousands of reissues over the years. But I'm happy to say that this this new album is the one I'm the most proud of. We will have more shows about this project, and we will have you back, and we will have you, Glenn, back as well. And we want to thank you both for being here today. Thank you, Christian, and thank you, Glenn. Thank you all for listening. So pick this up. Links will be in the show notes. And we'll see you all on the next episode of Zilch. Say, see ya, Christian. Thanks, Ken. See ya, Christian. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, guys. I really appreciate it. We'll talk really soon. Prog record, man. Prog record. All right. Thank you. Cheers. Bye. And that's our show. Zilch is an online nonprofit monkeys audio fanzine made by fans for fans. Any samples of music or interviews heard remain property of their owners. We are not related to the monkeys or any of their members past or present. We are not affiliated with Rhino or Ray Bird. If you hear anything you like from the band, go on Amazon or iTunes and buy it. If you enjoyed the show, like us on Facebook and rate us on iTunes. Thank you for listening. Until next time, I'm your announcer, Chelsea Epstein, saying always take some time to monkey around. <laughs> Don't now. Now really, everybody cool it because I won't be able to get through this. Action. Hey, wow. It's a groovy button. What does it say? Love is the ultimate trip. Oh, gee, that's a nice thought. Gee, that's a neat button. What does it say? Let's go again. Putting on the headphones of destiny, Ken Mills enters the chat room. <laughs> now, it's a mild attempt at doing Ted Knight doing the Super Friends, so... Oh, that's right. Ted Knight was one of the super... What, who did he play? He was... Uh... He, he was the announcer guy. That's right. You know... Batman yep. and Robin speed across town. You know, that, that sort of. <laughs> totally. Glenn, you'll never know what that is, what it's like to be a 10-year-old in the 70s in the United States. Yes.
so clear 